We interrupt your broadcast to bring you an episode from the Stephen or Else Network of Truly Epic Podcast. Find more shows at StephenOrElse.com. When you least expect it, from out of the void comes an all-new action-packed thriller from Mike Allred. Last we saw Madman, his mind was messed up with too much information, a result of his cranial convergence with Dr. Boyford. Now our hero is dazed and confused and living on the sidewalks of Snap City. So it's up to Joe, Gale, Mott, and the rest of his pals to figure out exactly what's ailing him and exactly how to end the pain. Hang on to your ham hocks, folks, because it's getting weirder. That's today on Just Another Fanboy. Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy, the podcast with a general sense of wonderment, but no real desire to learn. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and say, y'all want to hear me talk about Madman? (laughs) I hope so. I mean, otherwise, why are we here? Today we're looking at Madman Comics issue number 11. This was published by Dark Horse on October 23rd, 1996, and it is entitled... The Truth About Everything and All the Rest. This was written by Mike Allred, art by Mike Allred, colors by Laura Allred, and the letterer was Sean Cannot. So I'm going to try something just a slight bit differently here. I want to give you a a synopsis. I kind of put together a synopsis of the issue, and then we will look through and I'll talk about various points of the issue that I feel need to be talked about. So as the issue opens, Frank is a bit out of it as both his mind and body try to recover from whatever it was that happened to him in issue number 10. The head of Factor Max, which was taken by Dr. Flem, is still functional, and he begins to tell the story of how existence came into being, at least what he believes. At that point, Frank appears to be talking to someone who isn't there. He is in Dr. Flem's basement with Dr. Flem, Joe, Bonnie, Mott, Gale, Astro Man, Machina, and Factor Max's disembodied robot head. Joe becomes worried to the point of being angry at Frank until Gale, taking a bit of initiative, jabs some kind of brain scanning needle into the back of Frank's head. Whatever was going through Frank's brain appears on a large view screen. On it, taking up every inch of the screen, is the massive face brain of Professor Boyford. Frank, a jetpack strapped to his back and unaware of his friends and surroundings, suddenly flies away and Mott, snatching up another jetpack, chases after him. He catches up to Frank outside the ruins of the mountain facility where, in a past issue, the big guy had taken Professor Boyford and where Factor Max's minions had come to try and steal Boyford away. But now the facility is empty, and Frank, who claims to have been following a mental summons from Professor Boyford, can no longer feel the connection. The two friends fly into Snap City, and using disguises that Frank has hidden in various places around the city, they take a break from the responsibilities of the world at an outdoor cafe. It's as they're leaving that Frank, deciding that he's too tired to go on, lies down on the sidewalk and passes out. Joe and Astro Man arrive, and they take Frank back to Professor Boyford's place. In the meantime, Frank, who is still passed out, is visited by a vision of Mondstadt, 
who tells Frank that he knows who he is, or at least who he was before he died. He's just ignoring it. And he shows Frank the image of a man in a suit with a gun, a man with death surrounding him. Frank watches as the man murders someone and pulls out their heart. As the issue ends, Joe is holding Frank as he thrashes about, screaming that it's not true. It's not true. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the issue. Now, this was more of an introspective type of story as Frank is basically faced with who he might have been before he died. It's, it's something that he's been ignoring. And in fact, his, this memory loss that he's been dealing with, you know, he's been saying, oh, I want to know who I was before I died. But he, he has this, this mental block, basically, that's not allowing him to see it. And they even at one point, because they have Frank's brain scanned, and that's what uh, is used to build Astro Man, who is basically a robot version of Frank, though he looks nothing like Frank. They have Astro Man look back into those digital memories, into that digital brain, and see if he can see who Frank used to be. And just trying to do that caused Astro Man to, to melt in front of them. and. He had to be rebuilt. So despite the various times that Frank has expressed this desire to learn who he was before he died, this issue kind of makes it clear that he's always known, but he has ignored it. He's created this, this mental block that won't allow himself to know who he used to be because the idea of it is just devastating. and. Based on the visions that he is shown by this monstat in his brain, whether that's just a, a a crazy nightmare or, you know, we know that monstat was dealing with a demon a number of issues back. So maybe this is actually happening to Frank. But this vision of a man in a suit who vaguely looks like Frank, I mean, as much as a guy not wearing a full costume and a mask can look like Frank, but He's in a he's in a suit and tie. He's got a gun. Um, yeah, and he seems to be some type of killer, which as the issue ends, Frank seems to be discovering this. This memory seems to be opening up in his brain and he is freaking out. Now, let's go through the issue just a bit here. I want to talk first about the cover. It's a Mike Allred cover. And we have Frank flying over uh, a bunch of cars in Snap City wearing his jetpack. He's got a helmet on with a with a with an arrow on the helmet and he's got flying goggles on and he's flying like I said over the top of cars in traffic there's a woman hanging out of one of the cars and she's waving at him and behind him is a billboard for somebody named Red Rocket 7 some type of musician it says uh greatest sensation Red Rocket 7 he's alive live coming soon to the Tivoli theater that is a uh Mike Allred creation. We will be talking about Red Rocket 7 at some point. It, it was a uh, seven-issue miniseries he did. Um, if I look through my notes here, so we will be getting away from this main Madman storyline after this episode because following Madman in order of publication, next is the three-issue Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo. Then... The seven issue Red Rocket Seven. Uh, after that, we have two issues of Madman uh, crossing over with the Jam, 
And then we get back into Madman Comics issue number 12. So it is going to be a bit before we get back to this story. So I hope y'all can hold your horses. But the first page of the issue is very interesting because we get the title and above, you know, the truth about everything and all the rest above it is there's a little text box that says, meanwhile, and you've got Frank, Mott, Dr. Flem, and Joe, and they appear to be in space. And Frank is sitting on some kind of red planet, possibly Mars. Uh, Joe and Dr. Flem are standing on the Earth. These these planets are, are about the size of, of large beach balls underneath them. And then behind them is Mott standing on a, a, a purplish pink planet. Frank sitting on his planet. He's got his head in his hands and he's saying, whoa, whoa, the skinny, which <laughs> makes me laugh because I just spent the entire last episode complaining that Mike Barron writes this Nexus book with Madman and turns Madman into a guy that says, what's the skinny all the time? And then in the very next Madman issue, the first thing we see is, is, is Frank saying, what's the skinny? Uh, we go from there to this, uh, how many pages is this? One, two, three, four, four page sequence in which somebody is talking about the beginning of creation. We learn that it's it's Factor Max who is narrating this portion, but I don't want to read the whole thing, but it is a very, very interesting idea about how the, the you know, creation or just the universe or everything uh, came into being. It says, there once was nothing, not black, not white, nothing. Then was the note. Even before nothing was the note, if that can possibly make any sense to your limited minds. The note always existed, but there was nothing to hear it, nothing to confirm its being. So the note began the creation of things by creating another note, and a connection was made, and it was so good. The notes created more notes. This created a mood, a good mood. Then, for contrast, a sad mood. Then, a bad mood. The moods inspired visions. The visions became worlds and the worlds reflected creation. The note chose its favorite visions and gave them being, using light, darkness, form, and color, and creations with image and thought. They were given faces to express the moods, and beauty and ugliness as companions. Again, for contrast. This inspired feelings, kindness and goodness as its source, its heart, and sadness, and horror, just for contrast. The note founded diversity to grow possibilities and then blinded the future for suspense after creating time, of course, to separate the future from the past. The note ignored its creations, wanting to be surprised, peeking every once in a while just for fun. Unchecked, ugliness created what became the source of evil and evil created adversity. Many elements mixed, creating levels, degrees, and facets. Ugly things had beauty and beauty was capable of hiding evil. Simplicity was lost forever. This founded the great plan. Chaos. The note knew it would always exist. It always had. It always would. The note welcomed the plan. It would be fun. The perfection of imperfection was celebrated. The note found humor in pain and its temporary status. 
echoes from the note also found humor in how serious everyone took the note's great opus. It's really so simple. Drama, religion, laughter, music, sex, violence, pleasure, pain, pathos, imagery, birth, death, all walk the walk, dance the dance, sing the song, and sleep. Nothing is real except the note. And then he continues. We, that's when we learn that it's Factor Max, and he says that Frank must accept the note, that Frank is the key. And I just, I kind of find that rather interesting, that, that belief system as far as the, the creation of, of, of everything, starting with a, a note, that music ultimately is the, the creator of existence, that before, before anything, there was music. It's just that there was nothing around to acknowledge that there was music. And so this one note created everything. And uh, I, I don't know, I find that kind of interesting. Um, so they're in what appears to be Dr. Flem's ruined laboratory. Uh, it was ruined, of course, from one of the previous issues when all of the uh, Factor Max robots came in and kidnapped everybody to, to draw Frank in because Factor Max believes that Frank is the key. He knows the secrets of creation. And Factor Max wants those secrets so that he and his robots can become living beings. But it didn't end up working out for Factor Max. But in that conflict, Something very strange happened to Frank, and it appears that he may have peeked into something that was much larger than himself. And throughout this issue, there's only just a few moments where he is actually, I guess, fully conscious and aware of his surroundings. The rest of it, he just seems to be in some kind of weird daze. And at this point, as the issue's opening, as we're getting into things, he appears to be talking to somebody who's not there. And during this, co this one-sided conversation, he is, seems to be told to get a jetpack, which he does. And he, he snaps it on and he's got his helmet and his goggles. And Joe is trying to shake him out of it. She's, she's, so, she's so scared. She doesn't know what's going on with Frank. It's freaking her out. And she's getting to the point that she's getting angry. She's so scared and concerned for Frank's mental well health and his well-being and all that that she's starting to get angry about it and it's at that point that uh frank is he's standing over uh what's basically kind of a hole in the ceiling that says launch tube he's seems to be uh as he's snapping his jetpack on it it you know that he's gonna he's gonna fly away and joe again really concerned she's she's asking what does he think he's doing and dr Flem who I've said before, I don't really know how far we can trust this guy. Frank seems to trust him with every fiber of his being. He considers Dr. Flem almost like a father or, or an uncle, maybe. Uh, but I've always considered Dr. Flem to be a bit heartless. Uh, emotion doesn't seem to enter into a lot of what he does. It, to, to him, it's all about science and knowledge. And he may be somebody who's on the spectrum, and that's why he thinks that way. But as Joe is watching Frank prepare to leave, and she's getting very concerned about it, she goes to Frank, and Dr. Flem holds her back and says, this is amusing. Let's observe. And Mott points out that Frank is in some kind of trance, and that maybe if, you know, should they follow him or should they try to wake him up? What do they, what do they think will happen? 
And then suddenly Gail just jabs this needle into the back of Frank's head. And uh, Gail is somebody that I, I really quite, quite enjoy in this issue. Her name is Gail Gale, Dr. Gail Gale. She uh, first name G-A-L-E. And then I think the last name is G-A-I-L. Uh, she um, is Flem's assistant. She is covered from head to toe in bandages because these... At some point, her and Dr. Flem were working uh, on creating clones of Dr. Flem, and the clones went crazy. And they had read this book about uh, how to tattoo, as well as uh, books on the solar system. And they became super interested in both. And at one point, I guess they attacked Gale and they covered her body in tattoos of planets and stars and all that. And she originally, uh, to get rid of all these tattoos, because I would have to assume that laser surgery at that point would be very painful. And maybe at this point in, in, in our past, in the 90s, would have been very scarring at the same time, uh, especially to remove tattoos that are covering every inch of somebody's body. So she creates this chemical and soaks these bandages in this chemical and wraps herself up. And the idea is that this chemical is supposed to take the, the tattoos away. It, it removes the ink from her skin, but instead it makes her completely invisible. Uh, however, you can still see all the tattoos. So that's kind of funny. That's, that's ironic, isn't it? Is, would that be the definition of irony? Anyway, she, uh, again, she looks like the invisible woman, basically. She's wearing a lab coat and purple gloves, and she's got uh, bandages covering her head, and she's wearing a pair of goggles, and she jams this freaking needle into the back of Frank's head. It's got a wire coming off of it, and she says that she wants to probe the surface of his consciousness and directs everybody to look at the monitor. And uh, as the synopsis said, we get a very close up, uh, very, very close up look of Dr. Boyford or Professor Boyford's brain face. It takes up the entire screen and you hear Boyford say, hurry, son, I need you come get me. And as they're discussing that, Dr. Gale points out that she believes that Frank is metamorphing into something new. Mott wonders like, like a higher being. And she says, I find that extremely unlikely, but he's on a frequency he shares with Boyford perhaps because they've both crossed the barrier into the afterlife and returned. It's given him an enhanced telepathy and, you know, points out that we've seen that already, that he's able to read minds and see the future. But at this point, possibly his telepathy is two ways. He can receive and broadcast. And, and through that, he's talking to Dr. Boyford, you know, in a way that None of the rest can either see or hear. And it appears that if that's true, that Dr. Boyford is calling to Frank and asking Frank to come to him for an emergency, maybe. Maybe he needs help wherever he is. We don't know where Boyford is at this point. And that's when the, the head of Factor Max pipes in. He's a tool of Armageddon. He's abandoned his past in order to accept a false future. He is part of the note's eternal plan. His ignorance is necessary. His intellect couldn't tolerate the vastness of all truth. Transfer all his brain's contents to me. I'll fulfill his destiny. And Astro Man, you know, basically tells him to pipe down and uh, threatens to unplug Factor Max. And in fact, um, he's telling Factor Max that, um, you know, he already tried to uh, comprehend Frank's um, 
existence with with all the memories and whatnot that was put into his head, and it nearly destroyed Astro Man. And Factor Max's response is inferior parts, limited RAM, and that's Astro Man's like that does it. You're done. Consider yourself unplugged, and he grabs the cord, which appears to be just your ordinary average electrical cord plugged into an outlet in the wall, and he's about to pull it out when a little laser gun pops out of the top of Factor Max's head and slices like the top third of Astro Man's head off of his body. And it doesn't hit any circuitry. Apparently, it was just a bit of plastic in the shape of the, the, the top of the man's uh, robot man's head. Uh, and Machina is, of course, not very happy about that. And she punches Factor Max's head and Gale unplugs the head. And uh, that's during, during all this confusion is when Frank takes off. He flies away with the jetpack. And Mott, who, being an alien who has flown spacecrafts and, and flying saucers and whatnot, he volunteers to go after Frank. Because if any of them should be able to use a jetpack, it's him. Joe, of course, expresses her thanks to Mott. And so Mott goes off and he's chasing Frank. Frank won't listen to him. Frank doesn't, again, doesn't seem to be aware of any of his surroundings or the people around him. He sees a vision of Dr. or Professor Boyford floating in the air. His, his brain head is now like just huge. It's Five to ten times bigger than his body. It's like this picture in orange, maybe, with a toothpick sticking underneath it. That's kind of what he looks like. And uh, Mott follows him to this this mountain facility where the big guy, I don't know if that was his headquarters or if it was just kind of like a government safe house type of place where, you know, a government laboratory maybe where he had taken Dr. Boyford and Madman had had come along and they fought all those robots and whatnot. And anyway, it's at this point that Frank finally appears to be awake and conscious and he's talking to Mott. And he says at one point, it's been said that with great power comes great responsibility. I know now I don't want any of that responsibility. I refuse that destiny. The war between good and evil can go on without me, which has Mott wondering if Frank has lapsed into this fugue state or whatever it was he was in earlier. And they fly off and Frank asks if, if Mott minds, if they stop at a, uh, it's a coffee shop or a cafe in snap city. He just, he just needs a break. And we learn that Frank has stashed disguises all over the city and they use those to, to, to go to the cafe because both of them stand out. Frank is in full superhero costume and Mott of course is an alien and Frank's disguise is basically a trench coat and a baseball cap, whereas Mott is wearing uh, a surgeon's gown and apron and um, surgeon's mask. He, he, he looks like a doctor that's getting ready to perform surgery, uh, but he's just out getting a coffee first. And apparently there's a hospital just a few blocks away, so Frank feels like nobody's going to give him a second look. So they, they hang out at the cafe for a bit, and it's as they're leaving, that's when Frank decides, uh, you know, he needs, he needs a rest. He's spent. And he lays down on the sidewalk and passes out. Astro Man and Joe show up. Astro Man can fly and he's carrying Joe. And so Astro Man picks up Frank and takes him to Boyford's place while Joe and Mott take a cab. And that's when we see 
this nightmare that Frank is having. And we don't know at this point if this is a true vision. Um, he, he sees like a the disembodied floating head of Mondstadt, who's three times Frank's size. And he's telling Frank that he's a ridiculous joke. You know who you really are. You simply won't face facts. So a trip down memory lane seems to be in order. And Mondstadt melts away and is replaced by this guy with a suit holding a gun. And he's standing among entrails and guts. And he says, look familiar. It's you. Yes, you. And Frank just starts freaking out. And we get a moment where we see him in the sky being carried by Astro Man. And he's freaking out and he falls. And as he's falling, we see back into his vision, his nightmare, whatever it is, and we see this guy with a gun who is also falling, and he's firing his gun as he's, follow, as he's falling, and then Astro Man catches Frank, takes him back to Professor Boyford's house. Bonnie shows up, wondering why Dr. Flem and Gail aren't there yet, because uh, they left at the same time from Dr. Flem's place, and Bonnie actually stopped to get some groceries. <laughs> and so... She's she's wondering why she got there first. So everybody is there except for Dr. Flem and Gail. And uh, Bonnie brought Factor Max's head with her because Dr. Flem wanted it with him at all times. He's, he's still got a lot to do with it, to look into it and get information and all that. And then we go back to Frank's vision slash nightmare thing and... But well, before that, Joe, he's laying on this couch and he's obviously passed out and he's asleep. And Joe asks Bonnie and Astro Man if she can just have some time alone with Frank. And then she actually plugs up his nose, hoping that that will cause him to wake up. She just wants him to wake up. She she understands that he's going through something, but she just needs him to wake up for just a moment just to tell her that he's alive, that he's going to be okay, And then he can get back to it. She just needs to know. She needs to hear something. From him, she she may not feel 100% better about that, but she'd feel a little bit better because right now, ignorance is the most frightening thing for her about what's happening. And for Frank, ignorance, he said it before, ignorance is bliss. He prefers not knowing who he used to be, despite all the times that he has said that he wants to know. He's 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 seeing these visions now, whatever happened with him uh when he confronted Factor Max, it's it's caused him to see some things, and now he just doesn't want to know. He doesn't want to know anymore. He he, you know, it's like the, that through that door, you know, that way is dark, and 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 hell is beyond that door. He he just doesn't want he doesn't want to see. But we get back to his vision, his nightmare, whatever it is, and we're back to Monstat's big floating head, and Monstat opens his mouth and he says, "Face it, kid, look." And in his mouth is a hand mirror. Frank looks into the mirror and sees the face of the man that we saw previously with the suit and the gun. And then we see the man stringing somebody up, hanging, you know, somebody hanging with their arms tied behind their back. And uh, the man is suddenly holding a, a bleeding heart in his hand. And then we see the man again with a smoking gun and what appears to be somebody dead before him. And that's when we get that final panel. Joe with tears in her eyes, holding Frank's head in her arms. She's trying to comfort him. She's trying to keep him still. And, and, and she's saying, Frank, it's okay. I have you, love. And he's screaming out, no, it's not true. It's not true. No. 
and that's how the issue ends. And we get a little blurb. <laughs> we get a little blurb here at the bottom that says next the exit of Doctor Boyford Part One, which it's going to be a while before we get to that one, folks, because. Again, I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the episode or or somewhere in there, and I mentioned it before in other episodes. I am reading these in the order in which they were published. So at the time, I would have read this issue, and then I would have uh, had to wait. Let's see here. That issue came out, or this issue we're talking about, October of 96, and then issue number 12 didn't hit the stands until April of 1999. So that's almost three years that we had to wait for this next issue. Now, during that time, we got the Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo, three issues. We got Red Rocket 7, seven issues of that. And then we got Madman versus the Jam or whatever that title's called, two issues of that. So it's not like we were without Mike Allred or Madman during that time. We, we had stuff to read, but... In my reread here, I'm doing it uh, in the same order that I would have read them back then. So it's going to be a bit before we get to Madman Comics issue number 12, especially since I've already talked about this as well. When we're done with the three issue Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo, I will be taking a break from Madman and we'll be doing some some different types of episodes on just another fanboy. Uh, I haven't quite decided what I'm going to do yet, but. We'll probably do that for a couple of months before we get back to Madman. So I want you to feel the pain that I felt from October of 96 to April of 1999. Feel that pain. But yeah, I don't know if there's really anything more I want to say about this issue. This was, I don't want to say this issue was fun. It, again, it was more introspective. There wasn't um, really any crazy battles or fights or anything like that going on. It was just Frank, uh, facing what appears to be his biggest fear. And it doesn't seem to be uh, something that he is going to handle all that well. Uh, But we'll find out, I don't know, six months from now. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. Sorry about that, folks. But that's the way it is. Uh, You're just going to have to wait. Because next week, we're taking a break from this storyline. And we're going to look at the first issue of the three-part miniseries in which Madman crosses over with Superman. It's the Superman Madman Hullabaloo, which I, I got to say, it's pretty cool of DC to give Allred the rights to publish these three issues in his book, considering that Superman is in it. I, I think that's pretty neat. Um, and I remember that being a pretty fun story. I don't remember a lot about it. It's been a while since I've read it, but I remember it being a pretty fun three issues where... If I remember correctly, at one point, I think Superman and Madman merges and becomes like this Superman-Madman hybrid. So that should be fun. I'm looking forward to that. But until then, folks, my name is Steven, and I am Just Another Fanboy. Be nice to each other. The Just Another Fanboy podcast is a Stephen or else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or else, and then come join in on all the fun at the Just Another Fanboy message boards at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Or, and in return, I am going to do my very 
very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.